Hey, I'm Jake. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to that true crumb couple. Richard Ramirez. Tupara. The Tupara. Tupara. Yeah, the second Richard. part of Richard Ramirez. Yeah. If you haven't listened to the first, maybe go listen to that. It's got all the trigger warnings and everything. I don't know why you'd be listening to part two anyway. First. But. Because you're backwards. Backwards. <laughs> but yeah, listeners, discretion advised. And yeah, take it away, my darling. Okay, so we left off from Mabel and Nettie. They were just found. And by their neighbours. Taken to hospital. Yep. And they both no, one died, one lived. Yeah. So Mabel passed away. Mabel passed and away. And Nettie survived. Early in June he actually almost broke into a deputy's house that was on the case, like investigating him. Oh right. Yeah, he um the window that they were using was like painted shut and he'd like sliced it and opened it and as he pushed he actually imprinted his shoe print into the ground but his wife heard or something and she called out to him and he got his gun out and he like went through the house and he, it scared him off but like imagine yeah right like, so one of the cops that was investigating Ramirez yeah or at least knew about the case and everything yeah, like that nearly had Ramirez break him. into his own house yeah she's yeah. close to home yeah that's it 2nd of July he stopped at the home of 72-year-old Mary Louise Cannon. She was a widower who lived alone. He walked up to the front right window and took the screen off, entered the house, and started doing his normal shit. Um, Mary, was, yeah. Mary was born on a farm near Downey, went to business school, and was married to Daniel, sorry, Daryl Cannon, an Arcadia horse trainer who owned his own business, and she kept the books for the business, and nice. the business did really well. Good on him. She won against two bouts of cancer both nice. times. Yeah. She's what strong, a woman. independent woman. Yeah. That's it. She was very strong. She was very independent. And she had five grandchildren who she loved to pieces. She had a planned trip to Australia with a senior citizen group too in a few weeks' time. And the day before she actually got murdered, she got into a car accident. Um, All right. Yeah. She was fine. The car was damaged, but she was fine. Yeah. But what's the luck of that? Um, he entered her house and he found her asleep in her bed. On the dresser, he found a very heavy lamp, picked it up, and he brought it down on her head with as much force as possible. Oh. Yeah. What she, a horrible Yeah, I know. She woke up screaming. He knocked her unconscious with his fist, choking her and beating her even when she was unconscious. He went into the kitchen, uh, found a 10-inch butcher knife, and he plunged it into the left side of her throat. He kept twisting and turning it and repeatedly stabbing her with it. Poor love. Yeah. He washed himself off, ransacked her house, and drove straight to his fence, which is a guy that he sold all of the crap that he got. Yeah. Yeah. Called it, they called a fence, which I don't know why, but... Yeah, right. Yeah. Halfway in between, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah between there you go. Between two places? Yeah. 8am the next morning, Frank Sturridge, who had lived next door to Mary with his wife Christine for 25 years, they came out of their house like quite early trying to get the housework done because it's going to be like really hot that day. But Christine was the first to notice that the fly screen on Mary's like window was like laying on the lawn. Oh, no. And she suggested to Frank, she's like, you know, go put it back for her. They noticed that she didn't come out from the noise they made as they did it because apparently he had to pull his like ladder out and he was like hammering it back in. So they would have made quite a noise. Yeah, they, you yeah. know, and you would have been like, well, 
touching my house. Yeah. And then they noticed that the newspaper was still outside, and but the her sprinklers were due to come on soon. Right. So that, that you know, she never left her stuff outside. So they just knew they something, knew was, something was wrong. She told Frank to go get the keys that they had in case of emergency situations. And she she made him go inside and check. And when they walked in, they noticed that the house had been ransacked. So they essentially left and yep. called the police. They didn't go in any further. Oh, right. Which is a good thing because they didn't end up finding her body. Yeah. Which would have been horrific. But his avia shoe print was actually found on her rug as well. Of course it was. Yeah. In the early morning hours of July 5th, 1985... 20-year-old Whitney Bennett changed into a nightgown and she went to bed. Down her the, the down the hall, her parents had already Barents. went to parents. Her parents, <laughs> the parents, the parents. They already went to bed. Apparently, they had hosted like a little get together earlier that night, and Whitney had gone to. I read it was her birthday party, or she went to a party, um, right. and she didn't get home until about one a.m. Right, so they were already in bed, she'd yeah. come home, yeah. and then jumped in bed herself. Yep. Yeah. Later, she woke up, which apparently was a miracle that she did. The room was dark, and she said that she was really dizzy with pain. For Essentially, he'd broken in and beaten her ruthlessly with a tire iron. Oh. Yeah. So normally, he actually likes to use a knife, but he wasn't able to find a knife that night. Yeah. He said that... He likes using the knife because it gives, like, maximum maximum pleasure. That's yeah. messed up in so many ways, but okay. And he said, quote, you can feel your victim dying through the knife. In a way, it's close to sex. Better than sex. Yeah. Yeah. She woke up. She called out to her parents and they obviously rushed in and they took her to the hospital. And she had almost 500 stitches in her head. God damn. Yeah. So. Jeez, imagine. Yeah. It, what um, he would have done. Yeah. That night, he couldn't find a knife, so he used the tire iron instead. Yeah. He he found, like, a cord, and he started choking her with it, and as he unzipped his pants because he was about to rape her, he said that, like, a series of sparks appeared from the wire around Courtney's neck, and yeah. it was like a blue haze that yeah. appeared in front of him, and he thought that it was the power of Christ intervening in the murder. Oh. And it scared the shit out of him, and he bolted. Right. Yeah, so the plan was to actually kill her, rape her, and then kill the parents that oh, night. And but that scared him off and he didn't go through with it. Yeah. Right. So, so then that's when she'd woken up and got taken to yeah. hospital by her parents. Yeah. Because he literally ran off yeah. thinking that Christ was intervening. Of yeah. all the times to intervene, it yeah. was this one moment. Yeah. Well, thankfully, whatever happened, happened. happened yeah. yeah. On July 7th, so this was two days later, he burglarized a home of 60-year-old Joyce Lucille Nelson in her Monterey Park home. This lady apparently put up a whopper of a fight. Yeah. But when he found her, she was sleeping on her sofa in the living room and he essentially started, like, kicking the shit out of her and stomping her on the, on her head. Oh, what a way to go. Yeah, she, she put up a really strong fight and... I think that pissed him off a little bit, but eventually, like, he, he'd killed her, and he'd stomped on her head that hard that he left a imprint of his shoe on her face. Jesus, imagine how hard you'd have to stomp someone yeah. for that to happen. Yeah. He, he took whatever valuables he could find, and he was out of there. Yeah. The same day he cruised... So she was dead. Yeah, she, she died. Yeah. The same day he cruised to two other neighbourhoods before... Same day. Yep. Before returning to Monterey Park, yeah, 
and entering the home of Sophie Dickman. She was 63 years old. He assaulted and handcuffed her at gunpoint before raping and sodomizing her. He stole everything in the home, and when Sophie swore it was everything she had, he kept making her, instead of being like, swear to God, like that's everything, he kept saying, swear swear on Satan. Of course. Yeah. Because he's just a Satan-obsessed person. Yeah. And um, she was only found, so her next-door neighbours, they had like a get-together. Yeah. And they had like a spa, and it was, I think she said it was around three in the morning, they decided, you know, to, to turn in for the night. When they were in bed, her friend came down the hallway and she's like, oh, someone's calling you from across the road. Yeah. And she was like, oh, like, what the hell? And she, like, mm. stuck her head out. She went outside and it was Sophie calling, being like, hey, I'm, I'm handcuffed to the bed. I've been raped no. and assaulted. Like, can you call the police? Yeah. So, I mean, that's really nice that they knew each other. But, yeah, it's sad. But she survived. Oh, that's good, at least. Yeah. Two weeks later, July 20th, Ramirez purchased a machete before driving in a stolen Toyota to Glendale and broke into Layla Allen Needing, who was 66, and her husband, Maxon Carl Needing, who was 68. Apparently, they were a very happy couple, very friendly with their friends, um, family, their neighbours. Yeah. He was the owner and of a service station, and Layla was a member of a security team at a local department store. Nice. Yeah. They normally kept all their windows and everything unlocked, but tonight, like that night, they actually locked everything up. So I wonder, oh, wow. yeah, I wonder why. Just I wonder, random, like, just if like they one of those random moments. Yeah, in life. yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't stop him because he he found a um like a fly screen that he was able to slice open, and he was able to open the sliding door. He did say that if for whatever reason he couldn't get into the house like a normal way, like the windows were unlocked or the door was unlocked, he wouldn't have been able to get in so, like he wouldn't have smashed a window to get in like he just would have left it too so ah. yeah sad to think about to be honest yeah because a lot of the houses that he did go like everything was locked but the sliding door was open like the back right. door that one time yeah but before entering the house he went back to his car and he got the machete that he recently purchased and he prayed to satan because you know he got his That's back just what you do he went into the couple's room and he kicked the bed said, rise and shine, motherfuckers, and started hacking at them. Jesus. Because, like, the idiot thought that he was in a movie, like, and thought he'd just decapitate with one swing, like, that's not essentially going to happen. Well, of course he thought unless, that. I don't know, unless the machete's, like, really, really, really sharp no, or something. But you'd have to have an arm on you. Apparently, he like, he whacked Maxon in the neck, like, really hard but it only sliced him essentially like it didn't decapitate him yeah and then i think upon realizing that he's a idiot and he's not in a bloody moody movie he pulled out his 22 caliber and he shot them both in the head just like that yep just like that he ransacked the home as he normally did and then returned to the couple and started to continue to hack them jesus i feel like it's just like absolutely lost the plot he had he did have the that police scanner on him yeah. that he carried around with him, and he did hear a like a shots fired bulletin, like oh, running yep. across Gets it, and out. yeah, yep. he, he got out of there. Yeah, he sold the stolen goods from the home before driving out to Sun Valley, Los Angeles, where he broke into the home the same night. Yep, sorry if I mispronounce this. It's the Covanath family. The same day, so Chana Rong, thirty two years old, and some kid. 32 years old they were um, both immigrants from thailand and they met in the united states they started a family together and they purchased a home together as well that's nice yeah ramirez he went up to the front door and the windows and they were all locked 
but he found that a sliding glass door out the back was unlocked. Oh. Yeah. Once he entered the home, the room that he went in, he noticed like there was a nightlight on and he looked over and some kid was, I think she was in the living room mm. and she'd woken up straight away because she yeah. fall, I think she fell asleep on the couch. She woke up straight away. He rushed over and he shoved his gun in her face and he told her, you know, not to make a sound. He left her there to continue to look around the house and she just, like, untied and everything. Like, she was just, just you know. Free just, to do as she pleased. Yeah, he just left her. I don't know why. Um, he's stupid. That's yeah. why. He noticed the kids' room using his pen light. He looked around but didn't disturb them. He then went into the master bedroom where he saw her husband, Chana Rong. Chana Rong. Sorry, once again, if I'm mispronouncing that. And he shot him in the head. Oh. Yeah. While he did that, some kid took off a wedding ring and she hid it in the couch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Trying um, to stop her from getting stolen. Yeah. That, just, I feel like she would have heard, like, the gunshot too. Yeah. And, like, ugh, uh, her heart. But Ramirez being Ramirez, he noticed those little things. So in that uh, split time, he came back and he noticed straight away that she'd removed her ring. Yeah, right. Yeah. He slapped her saying, um, don't play no fucking games, bitch. Where's the ring? And she quickly told him where she hit it. Yeah. yeah. And then it didn't even end up working anyway. Yeah. He raped her and sodomized her and also made her perform oral sex on him. Oh, I imagine. Um, disgusting. Yeah. He stole things in the house and he left. A lot of these, a few of the victims actually, like in court, they ended up getting some of their belongings back as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know what, and I hope she got her ring back. Yeah. Yeah, an Avia shoe print was left on the front porch. Jeez, he's really just got yeah. a history of doing that Yeah. now. Well, I mean, how could you avoid that, really? I mean, true. But it was the front porch, the rear porch, and then inside the house as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, a good handful of prints. Yeah. On August 6, 1985, Ramirez drove to Northridge and broke into the home of 30-year-old Chris Peterson and Virginia Peterson. He crept into the couple's bedroom... Virginia saw him, woke up, saw him. Yeah. She asked who he was and that he needs to leave, and he shot her in the face. Okay. Yep. Chris, he, like, got up and started fighting Ramirez. Yeah. And he had a bullet in his head. Oh. Yeah. Wait, so he'd been they shot. both had been, been shot. shot yeah. He got up and started fighting. He got him. up, fought him off. Ramirez ran out the house and fled, but both of them survived. Oh, nice. Yeah. Which I with a gunshot to the head. Yeah, I think she moved her head when he when he like ran shot. at her. She like moved her head when he shot, and it like went down. I think it was something around her nasal cavity, like shot through. So instead of shooting shooting straight Direct back, back yeah. it like shot went off to the side, and yeah, so she survived. Missed, like, her brain and like vital yeah. organs. Yeah. Like. He only got one bullet, but I think he shot at him like three times, and it missed. Jesus, after all that, yeah. still a terrible shot. A useless bastard. Two days following the attack on Petersons, Ramirez drove the st- a st- another stolen car to Diamond Bar and chose the home of Sakina Abawath, 27, and her husband, El- alias Jakob Abawath, 31. Once again, sorry if I'm mispronouncing these names. They were said to be a happy young couple with two small boys, aged 10 weeks and three years. Mm. They got along with their neighbours. Um, they often all attended, like, you know, cookouts that the neighbourhood did together. They often all, like, got together and did all that sort of stuff. Nice little community. Yeah. 
It was 3.30 in the morning when Ramirez entered and searched out the master bedroom. LES was instantly killed with a shot to the head from a 25 caliber handgun. Jeez. Yeah. Sakina was bound with handcuffs and beaten before getting dragged around the house to reveal the location of their goods. Once he did the first sweep, Ramirez raped her and then repeatedly demanding that she swore on Satan. Just as usual. He does. Yeah. Their three-year-old son woke up and she convinced Ramirez to actually let him put her, let her put him back to sleep. Yeah, right. Yeah, he like allowed her, but she was still bound and naked, but she was able to... Putting the kid back to sleep. And he went back to sleep. Aww. Yeah. After Ramirez was done and left the home, Sakina, her son, woke up again and entered the room where she got him to go to the neighbor's house to get help. Oh. Three years old. How do you tell your three-year-old that? To just go, like, go next door. Like, go get, you know. barely comprehend it. Yeah. My God. It wasn't long before he struck again, August 18th. He broke into the home of 66-year-old Peter, Peter Pan and 62-year-old Barbara Pan. They were both originally from Hong Kong and been in the United States since 1965. Peter was unfortunately killed instantly by a shot to the temple with a twenty-five caliber handgun. It's his usual ammo. Yeah, so he's changed. He changed that up again because he was originally using the twenty-two. Remember? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's got yep. a different gun he's this got time. A different gun again. But I mean, it's still the same yeah. ammo of just shooting the, yeah. the the dude or the part male partner in the couple. Yeah. While Barbara was beaten and sexually assaulted before being shot in the head and left to bleed out beside her husband. Oh. Yeah. At the crime scene, um, Ramirez, for some reason, he, like, scrawled Jack the Knife on the bedroom wall. Because he wrote it. Yeah. I I don't know why Jack the Knife. Is that what he wanted to call himself? No, I don't know, because he'd often tell people, like, tell, like, the Night Stalker's been here, like a fucking loser. Along with, he he also drew, uh, like, a pentagram again in Barbara's lipstick. He left a shoe print at the scene that detectives quickly linked to the others found in the area. They also found these prints. It was mentioned before, like that the the shoes were actually rare, and the the lead detectives, Frank Salerno and Gil Carrillo, contacted the manufacturer of the Avia sneakers. Oh, and, wow. so they're starting to put it together. Yeah, and they actually found out that only six men's eleven and a half size shoes were sent out. Five went to Arizona, and the sixth one went to a store in Los Angeles. Oh, so they're that rare. They're like, like the six. The of- sixth one. The shoe prints and the ballistics match those from the Los Angeles, confirming the police that Ramirez was in San Francisco. Nice. Yeah. So they're catching on to him. Yeah. San Francisco's then mayor, Diane Feinstein. This is I can't. Oh, she ended up divulging all the information that the You're police had. Kidding. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was miscommunication. Oh, um, imagine how pissed you would be if you were the everything about the shoes the gun everything everything you're kidding yeah i'm sure she's doing it with the right intention well she didn't i don't think she knew that she wasn't supposed to like i mean Uh, like i think it was like a miscommunication i think she thought it was known information uh, but she said all this on live television where they were doing like a big press conference um conference And it was, like, the gun caliber, you know, the shoe prints, like, the the ammo, like, coming in through the windows, like, all of this. Yeah. And the the detectives were pissed. As you would be. Yeah, they were, like, defeated at that point. They were like, that's it. I feel like 
considering everything that happens, that's probably one of their strongest leads too. Yeah, yeah. And they were, the reason they were worried is that he'd get rid of like all the advert, like the shoes and stuff yeah. like that, which he did. He of ended up he throwing would. the shoes. I mean, um, he's stupid, but he's not that stupid. Yeah. He, he threw the shoes off the Golden Gate Bridge the same night. Mm. So, that, yeah. There goes that. Yep. On August the 24th, he went 76 miles to the south of LA in a stolen orange Toyota. The night he arrived at the home of 45-year-old James Romero Jr. and 13-year-old son James Romero III. James couldn't sleep that night, the, the young boy. Yeah. So he went out to the family truck. They'd actually just come back from a um, vacation. Yeah. So I think like the camper van and everything was still kind of full. You know, you get back and you're like, just leave your shit. Yep. So he, he couldn't sleep that night. So he went to the family truck and he was planning to get his pillow out. He must have left like his good pillow in there or something, but it was locked. So instead he decided to go into the garage and work on his little mini bike yeah. that he had. But while he was doing that, he heard like rustling and it was like around the bushes and around the house and stuff. He heard some rustling, which was like around the bushes and around the house. And he thought it was just kind of an animal at first, mm. but then it started to like get like a little bit louder and stuff. And he actually got like really scared. As you would. Yeah. So he like hid behind one of the cards. And then apparently he said to himself in his head, like, if he comes in, I'm trapped. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he like ran along the other side of the car. I think he like ran around and went through the door hmm. into the house from the garage. Right. Like in through the garage yeah. door into the house. Yeah. yeah. And he like ran up and he said he ran past his bedroom and he looked as he was running past and he saw Ramirez like walking past. Like oh, he saw him. Yeah. And the dad got up and he was like, you know, what the hell are you doing? And he was like, there's a prowler like outside. In, yeah. Yeah. And um, he like ran outside because the dad was up and he, the, apparently the dad was calling him back, being like, get back here. But he ran like outside because he saw that Ramirez had fled. Yeah. And he ran onto the road and apparently Ramirez drove, drove past him and just stared him down. But the boy got like partial number plates of the car. Nice. Yeah. But he was only 13 like years old. So little trooper, but he like, can't imagine what would have happened. Him. Yeah. After failing to break into the Romero's house, Ramirez went to the home of Bill Carnes, 30, and his fiancée, Inez Erickson, 29. He found the back door and broke in. Quickly locating the couple's bedroom, Ramirez planned on following his usual, you know, thing, shooting the victim while he laid sleeping, but Bill was awoken by the cocking of the gun. He couldn't yeah. put up a fight before Ramirez shot him three times in the head and turned his attention to Inez. Oh. Yeah. He identified himself as the Night Stalker. Ah, uh -huh, so he's starting to call himself yeah. the Night Stalker now, was he? Yeah. Well, he had a few names. There was like the Valley Intruder, the Screen Door Intruder. It's ridiculous. God. Um, the Walk-In Killer. I can't believe they give him these names. Like, yeah, I know. Like, they obviously get off on it. They clearly love it, considering he's already starting to call himself the Night Stalker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty cool name, to be honest. Like not yeah no I know but it's like a cool like the Night Stalker like yeah I mean if I was a murderer you'd probably <laughs> yeah get you'd, off you'd on be a like nice stoked name. you'd be like yeah I'm the, like what like, is I'm the uh, Night Stalker yeah <laughs> yeah he identified himself as the Night Stalker and forced Inez to swear she loves Satan before beating her with his fists and bound her neckties he found in the couple's closet 
He stole what he could find before dragging her into another room and raping her. He demanded, like she tell him, where all the hidden cash and jewellery was located, all the standard stuff, again forcing her to swear on Satan that there was nothing else left. He told Inez, like, before he fleed, like, tell them that the Night Stalker was here. Yeah, he really just wanted mm. to know them, the Night Stalker. After she was certain he was gone, Inez untied herself and ran to the neighbours for help. Surgeons removed two, or th- two of the three bullets from Bill's head and he survived his physical injuries. Nice. Yeah, so no, that's what, like, like, two people, two or three people now that yeah. survived bullets to the head? No, like, after... I don't think so injuries. from him. I don't think so. I didn't see anything that is... Yeah. When police arrived, Inez was able to give a detailed description of him, coupled with the vehicle description from Romero's home, the police were. Well, that's another thing. Like, mm. boy, how many people now have probably seen... Seen them. What, did they not just, like, kind of all link up and just... Well, they would, but they still, like, you'd just know that this, like, six-ish foot tall man, Mexican, stinky. you know, stinky dude. is With walking. bad teeth. <laughs> stanky with bad teeth. Like... You know, you're in Los Angeles too, where there's thousands and thousands and thousands True, of people. Like you, you'd know, but you wouldn't be mm. like, it's exactly this person. Yeah. Like, but one that they did a lineup with that six year old, didn't they? That was when he he got caught, though. Right. Yeah, that was that was after. So, so once he got caught, it was like the witnesses were like starting to yeah right yeah. So that stolen the stolen Toyota was found abandoned on August twenty eighth in it was Koreatown and onside the uh, inside on the rearview mirror a single fingerprint was found that was positively linked to Ramirez through his many arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations. So his fingerprints so he started yeah scanned and yeah. linked in yeah. So the identification was described as a near miracle as the system used was recently installed that contained the fingerprints of criminals born after January 1st in 1960. So Ramirez was born on February 29th, 1960. Yeah, right. So, so a couple months or just, eight months, not yeah, even. Not even a month. Um, I'm fairly sure that February 29th, I'm very, I feel like that's a leap day. Too. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I feel so like that's... Even more of a friggin'... No, I don't think that makes a difference for that, but I said, like, just his birthday happened to be a leap day. Well, then it'd change every year then, wouldn't it? Well, it's every four years, isn't it? The day happens. So the following day after the identification, police released a mugshot of Ramirez from a 1984 arrest. Nice. And said, we know who you are now, and soon everyone else will. There will be no place you can hide. Good. I hope he sees it, and I hope he's panicking like crazy. He doesn't see it. Oh, really? Yeah. So on August 30th, 1985, um, what's that? that It's like the day after, I think. So the 29th, January. Yeah, I think think it was like the day after, a day or two after. Yeah. He took a bus to Tucson, Arizona to visit his brother, unaware that he had become the lead story in every (laughs) single major newspaper and television program across California. Good. Yeah. After failing to meet his brother due to him not being home, he apparently, he got the bus back early on the morning of August 31st. He walked past all these police officers that were at the frickin' station waiting for him. And what? He just walked past them. No, well, he didn't. No, they didn't see him. Ah. God, of course they didn't. (laughs) Useless. He just walked past. I think Ramirez panicked a little bit just because, like, he'd, you know, been doing what he's doing. So he was like, ooh, fuck. cops. Yeah, Yeah, but none none of them saw him. Of course they didn't. Which I'm kind of glad they didn't. To be honest with you. Oh, really? Yeah. He he walked past them. 
and um, he he walked into a um a convenience store in East Los Angeles. He he got spotted by a group of elderly Hispanic women who began calling him El Matador, which I'm fairly sure the monster is the monster or something like that. Right, the monster. Yeah, and he was like, oh, what, like what the hell? Yeah, and he turned and his face he saw like all these newspapers and his face was plastered nice. all over them panic yeah panicos yeah panicos he bolted and panicked Good. he attempted to carjack an unlocked ford mustang but was dragged out by an angry resident oh really yeah fleeing from them the pair was chasing him down oh you yeah because i think they they realized they're like yeah Oi. come um, yeah Ramirez attempted to take the keys out of someone else's hands. I think her name was Angelina De La Torres. Hands to take her car, but Angelina's husband saw. And yeah. just like the holiday in, he belted the shit out Good. of him. Good. Yep. Getting what he deserves. Yep. He, um, one of the, the men that was chasing him, he took a fence post and began beating Ramirez over the head. Got him. Chasing him down. Got him. Imagine, <laughs> imagine being on the street and just seeing just that. Just seeing that. You'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Oh my God. A mob of over 10 people were running after him as he fled down Hubbard Street. Oh, yep. I just, I hope the panic running through him is just through the roof. Yeah. I'm just, just so happy for it. Yeah. A block of people united to get rid of him. Good. They, when they had him and detained him, he was beaten relentlessly by all of them good and they were only stopped when the police officer arrived nice yep so the police literally had to stop them oh. and you could imagine like the police i'm sure they were like they probably just want to do it yeah they want to join in they were probably like i'm just gonna take a little bit longer to get there mm, take a my time um, which ramirez like to turn around and be like oh i've had my gun on me they wouldn't be so brave oh yeah and i'm like you're, you're the just... one that's running away you're the one that shoots people while they're, they're sleeping, sleeping and they're not even like awake to be able to do anything back. Yeah, literally. It was to the point that no one could identify him due to the blood covering his face. Good. Yep. Get what you deserved, yep. you pig. He was sentenced to death by a gas chamber on 7th of November nice. uh, 1985. Ramirez spent the remainder of his life incarcerated at California's San Quentin State Prison. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like the, the worst. Ones. Yeah. He received regular fan mail. What? He had groupies that just thought he was the coolest thing out. Of course he did. Which makes me just beyond angry. Like, that's Imagine so... all the people yeah. that he has murdered yeah. and you are obsessed and, or even call yourself a fan of yeah. some person like that. It's just disrespectful. Like, it, I... It's and, just... Oh. Well, Bundy had it. Bundy got, like, so much, like, love letters and, like, the excitement and there was all these little groupies following it. Like, Stupid. Oh, and he even got married in 1996. You're kidding. I don't even know her name because she's important enough to bring up. Not even worth knowing her name. No. So he ended up dying from complications arising from a secondary B-cell lymphoma on 7th of June 2013. So it's essentially like a blood cancer. So he he died from a secondary infection from that from his liver. And apparently he turned like a highlighter green colour before he died. Good. Got him. <laughs> Highlight, what a pig you are. <laughs> dirty, dirty pig. <laughs> so his crimes only spanned a year. You're kidding, that was all in the space of a 1984 year. 1984 to 1985. What? 
And how many victims? So he was convicted in 1988 on 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults and 14 burglaries. And this is what he was convicted on. Like, and not God the ones what that, else he yeah. Did. He had no kind of MO. Victims were white, Asian, Latino, children, adults, elderly. He was just he was anyone scary. and everyone. He was fucking scary. Later, in I think it was 2009, he had a lot of like murders, obviously, but they ended up connecting a, a nine year old girl's murder. Her name was May Linda Leung. It, it was tied to her, uh, tied to him through like, some some DNA evidence that arose. His his DNA was found on a handkerchief with a secondary sample, which led them to believe that there may have been an accomplice with him at that time. Oh. Yeah. They aren't 100% though because they're not sure if it was going to be a false positive. Right. But her murder happened in 1985, which was before the first murder, which was Jenny oh. Vinco. Right. Yeah, so he would have been around twenty four years old then. When he's done his first murder. Yeah, she was. Um, she was found partially nude and hanging by her blouse over a pipe in the basement of her apartment building on April tenth, nineteen eighty four. She was with her eight year old brother when she had lost her one dollar bill and went looking for it. Oh. Yeah. Allegedly, Ramirez approached the girl and told her to follow him into the basement to find it. Once in there, he beat, strangled and raped her before stabbing her to death with his switchblade. Oh. Yeah. The detective on the case said her feet were a few inches off the ground and that if she was just a few inches taller, she maybe would have survived. Oh. But um, by the time the case was linked, he was actually like already on death row. So it didn't really matter. Like, yeah. And at least the family might have got some closure some from sorta, knowing yeah. at least what happened. And there was another one that they weren't... The, the, the murder charges were dropped for this one. Um, it was June 28th, 1985. Her name was Patty Higgins. She was 32, year old, 32 years old and she was found in her Acadia home. He had apparently beaten her within an inch of her life and then slit her throat, ransacked her home. You know, all the standard stuff. The crime wasn't discovered until, I think it was July 2nd, when she didn't arrive to work. And her her attacker had sodomized her, strangled her, and stabbed her. He was charged with her murder, but the charges were dropped right before the due date due to a lack of evidence. Yeah, right. So there are those those two as well. Yeah, so. that were potentially linked. Yeah. Slash one was linked to it. Patty Higgins was brought up in a few of them, so I think it's strongly indicated that he did it yeah but yeah like i said the um there was lack of evidence and they couldn't they couldn't go through with it but that's richard freaking stanky ass ramirez richard necrotic hemorrhoid hemorrhoid wet lettuce stinky stinky, rotten teeth (laughs) smelly bad green highlighter (laughs) murderer that's what they should have named him. Just before he died, just stanky ass green highlighter. Just, just before he died, just got rid of the night stalker and just called him highlighter. <laughs> just to be like, screw you. I hope, I hope the cancer he had was just horrendous. I hope, I hope he struggled because I love that he got brought in and taken by people of the public too. Oh, like you could imagine how angry they arrested. were. Like he and, got beaten. Yeah, I love that he was just whacking him over the head with a, a fence post. Good. While chasing him. What a hero. What a man. Good. What an absolute angel. Oh my god. Imagine the relief that you'd feel. Like being part of a public and knowing someone like him who's linked to that many murders. and like In a year. It was a year. 
Like the, it's oh my god. Maybe he, he just wouldn't have stopped. No, no, he just he, kept oh going god, no. the whole time. He had like there was nothing. There was no. Like I feel like there's like a few out there. Like I feel like Dorma was almost relieved that he kind of got caught. Like there's a few that almost kind of give the feeling like it's they're almost relieved that it's over. Yeah, Whereas right. he like he just would have kept going and going and going. Didn't even affect him. Scary. Yeah. Just Scary. breaks into people's houses. Yeah, and I remember I remember hearing one thing that like if you ever have like someone just you know, break into your house or, like, you know, there's no kind of, uh, not, what's the word, like, looking around the house first. Like, stalking or, like, profiling. Profiling the place. Like, yeah. that they're a really scary person because they have no clue what they're walking into, but they just don't Do care. anyway. They yeah, right. don't care. It, it's scary. I mean, he's scary. Yeah, you're not wrong. But, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening to part two of Richard Ramirez. Two-parter. Of the two-parter. It's two the second part. It's two-parter. The, the second part of the two-parter. It's two-parter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, as always, if you guys wanted to check in, get any updates and stuff, feel free to check our Instagram, that true crime couple, and our Twitter, that crime couple, yep. for um, updates and... New cases coming up. Also, as we said in the first one, post some images and stuff yeah. related to the Richard Ramirez case and yeah. yeah appreciate a follow and yeah once again thanks for listening thanks lock your shit load your shotguns load your shotguns lock your shit fucking hell be safe bye bye <laughs>